Thanks for joining us this week on Kingdom Roots. Uh, before we jumped into the episode today, I wanted to update you on that drawing that we had the last couple of weeks. Thank you to the many of you who participated in that. Uh, it's so encouraging to hear what resonated with you and what you found most helpful. So wanted to announce the winners. First one was Jen Rose. She said, I want scientists in the church. Brandon Brown's our second winner. He said, I found nothing less than liberation. Heather Bensler is our third winner, and she said, we need to listen to one another. Listen carefully to one another so that we can help one another grow. And our fourth winner, Jeremy Conway, continued that quote, actually. Um, He had the same one uh, in another tweet, but said, in our understanding and form a genuine dialogue about science and faith that will lead us forward. Finally, uh, John Beadle is our last winner, and he had to say that his particular quote that he thought helpful was, genome scientists will say that the DNA in human beings today could not have come from anything less than 10,000 hominids. So thanks again uh, for those of you who listen every week, and um, we really enjoy getting to hear from you, um, what's resonating um, from what we have to say. I want to really quick just encourage you, if you're not already subscribed, uh, whether on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you uh, get your podcasts, that you take a chance to do that. That helps us out and um, is makes it easier for you to never miss any of the episodes that are coming your way. But we got another great episode for you today. And so, hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight. The conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today, for the podcast, we have the president of Northern Seminary back with us talking about preaching as a performance. Hey, Bill, welcome back to the the podcast. So glad to have you on again today. Thank you, Chaz. It's great to be with you and Dr. McKnight. Thank you for the honor of sharing this time with you. Yes, uh, Bill, uh, President Scheel, uh, we're happy to have you with us. And um, I'm particularly happy that you as the president at Northern Seminary are committed to the classroom, uh, to scholarship, but also... Uh, to teaching our students something that is deep and passionate in your own heart and teaching them about preaching. And um, I first met Bill in Tallahassee when I was asked to speak at his church uh, right there at Florida State University. And as we uh, talked that weekend and I got to know him and then I read his book, I believe the book is called, is it called Preaching from Memory? Yeah, Delivering. Delivering Delivering from Memory. I was really impressed with um, Bill's capacity to communicate in clear language the niceties and the distinctiveness of ancient rhetoric, Quintilian and, and the boys, on uh, on performance. And so even uh, that weekend, uh, Bill said a few things to me, and um, I, w- I walked away, in, or I flew away, wondering, I wonder what in the world he thought of, of my performance. Uh, but uh, since then, I've read more on it, and I reviewed your book, and, and I'm really interested, and I'm becoming a fan 
of understanding preaching as performance, reading the Bible as performance, but not in the sense of, um, you know, that we have to find uh, theatrical actors who can give sermons in a fake way, but learning some of the skills and art of rhetoric that teaches us how to perform certain things, certain words, certain gestures, so that we become better preachers. We become better communicators. And I find uh, in reading about performance, Bill, you may, you probably see this too. If you watch people in ordinary conversation, they often are pretty good at performing what they're saying. Put them in front of a crowd on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock with uh, after some pretty good music, and they can get pretty nervous and lose their theatrical or performance skills. But nonetheless, most of these rhetorical gestures and um, movements are connected to everyday and ordinary speech. So I wonder, Bill, if you could tell us a little bit about what you've learned about performance. Uh, we're going to ask you about uh, how you're teaching this as well uh, and what what you're uh, learning about teaching Northern students. But I I'm going to turn it over to you, and then maybe every now and then I'll interrupt you and uh, ask you some other questions. Thanks, Scott. And um, I think one of the, the interesting things about teaching at Northern Seminary is we're building on a tremendous foundation. Dr. Michael Quick uh, really helped refocus uh, and reframe our conversation about preaching by focusing on the preacher. And uh, we have a longstanding tradition here, uh, way back uh, to Dr. Kohler's day, of teaching the practice of preaching from memory. So really, my role was to take both Dr. Kohler and Dr. Quick and, and using my own research to talk about and to reframe the concept of preaching as in the language of the performative language, language in the sense of a, the way a pastor would perform a wedding ceremony. There is power in the words by asking uh, a husband and wife uh, will you commit to one another for life? When they say, I do, and I now pronounce you husband and wife, there is a power in the word. Well, that really is rooted in the sense of what, the way I use performance, that we are receiving a word from God, and by pronouncing and proclaiming the good news on a Sunday morning or at a funeral, at a wedding, we are really reenacting as well as... Um, agreeing to, again, the covenant that God has made with us in Jesus Christ. So as pastors, we're renewing our relationship with Christ every time we preach. So we've kind of taken that and looked again at what, I, what I've identified as really the six voices of a preacher, especially here at Northern, where our classes are intentionally diverse. We have people from several different contexts. So I did not want to come in and teach everyone to preach the way Bill Scheel preached in Tallahassee to a congregation in a university community. I really wanted to tease out and to invite reflection on the context the preacher comes from and the voice of the preacher in uh, her particular area, and then to help them not only find their voice, but then to be assessed based on how you would preach in your context. 
So we've developed some assessment tools. We've talked about the various styles or voices of preaching. And then we've kind of taken it a step further, Scott, and asked, all right, it's not just enough to preach, but you must also communicate. So we've also invited a conversation about what kind of preaching is your audience used to? Are they used to a teaching kind of sermon, say, in a, in a church like Chaz attends, or uh, are they interested in more of a, a herald, a, pro, a proclamation, or a celebration style of sermon, as in many of our Pentecostal contexts? So we, we've paid as much attention to not only the voice of the preacher, but the expectation of the audience, and I think it's been a very creative, exciting process. Uh, I mean, that, that's good. Um... I, I wasn't aware of all these things. I've heard students say just a couple things, um, positive things about the preaching classes, and I've seen some of your great pictures of your students. Um, but I like that that breakdown of of um, a voice and finding yourself and what you're trying to do when you communicate and what your context is. Those things really do matter. And and I've uh, I have friends who, you know, professors, pastor types, think they're pastor types, think they can preach. And sometimes I think, I wonder if they could preach at my church, Church of the Redeemer. And I think, you know, no, not really. They're, they don't really do things that way. So different churches develop these cultures. Well, Bill, I, I wonder if you could help us understand what you're teaching students uh, when we talk about performance uh, what are some of the um, skills? What are some of the techniques? Uh, what are some of the uh, elements of good performance when people are preaching? Sure. Well, the first thing to make it, um, you know, one one way that we just begin talking about preaching is is the same way James talks about the mirror in James one twenty three. Anyone looking at himself in a mirror, uh, we've I've used that as a as a as a gauge and a guide for really preaching one, that preaching first is about gazing into the mirror of God's word and reflecting on our own character. And, you know, it's not preaching until we preach to ourselves. And so preaching one is really about getting ourselves right and prepared to preach. So first of all, we immerse ourselves in the text. Preaching to me begins with a text and begins with a text with a congregation. And we intentionally put people in peer learning groups or clusters where we are sharing conversation with other peers who are also in similar contexts. And so we invite conversation. So, so we no longer think of preaching as this pastor cloistered away in the study, surrounded by, you know, a thousand commentaries that are never dusted off and, you know, uh, and, and the, and the, the Google search engine or something, but rather preaching is best done in community. You know, when you read in the book of Acts um, about these powerful rhetorical moments uh, with Peter, he's always there with John and Paul is always preaching with a team, with Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy, you know, so you have this conversation going on with the team of preachers. So we really teach people how to um, not only prepare sermons themselves, but also to invite conversation with each other, with good research, and then uh, we practice with each other. Uh, we, you know, we do some of the very practical skills of working on posture and gesture and 
and stance and breathing and those sorts of things. And we do it in light of the congregation uh, that we are addressing. So, you know, we'll spend uh, six weeks of, of the class talking about what I'd call the skills and the character needed to preach and how to immerse ourselves in scripture. And then one of the ways we do that is I asked our students to take their text and to read it aloud three different ways. Uh, we borrowed uh, a little bit from Richard Ward's work on public reading of scripture. And we said, you know, when you read a text aloud, which is the way the ancients heard the text, they weren't reading privately uh, themselves. So what we ask people to do is think exegetically and interpretively about, all right, what, is it, what does the text sound like? And when you read it across different versions, how does simply changing of an, an inflection, a nuance in the text change the way you are interpreting that text? And one of my favorite stories is I, is I have, a, have a student who has really struggled uh, with, with some learning disabilities and he was very concerned about having to write his sermon uh, because writing takes twice as long for him as, as many others. And what was so powerful for him in this process is he realized that it was much easier for him to say, to say the text aloud and then to speak his sermon first, to record it in audio version, and then to write down what he said. And I said to to this preacher, I said, that's exactly the way most preachers should be working on sermons. Sermons are, are, are an oral media. So he found a whole new way of thinking about his congregation. And interestingly enough, he preaches regularly in a prison. So he preaches to inmates who hear the word of God primarily and listen and then are engaged powerfully in, in the process. So that's really preaching one right there. That's good. That's good. I know who you're talking about, and I uh, I can see him preaching very, very well. Bill, one of the things that you're big on, and um, I'm not, uh, and it's not that I'm against it, it's just that I think it's unrealistic for me because of the kind of preaching I do, which is rarely one time on a sermon, but more I... Uh, I'll, I'll go someplace and maybe in in two or three days speak or preach four or five times. Uh, and that is uh, delivering from memory, uh, and that is not using notes. And in my, in my lifetime, uh, I've, I've, I've rarely uh, sat in a church where that was done. Uh, when I have sat in a church where it was done, I've been incredibly impressed most of the time, although a couple times people who had no business thinking that they could preach from memory were preaching. Uh, but I wonder, uh, I wonder if you would explain uh, what preaching from memory is or delivering from memory and why you think it's a valuable uh, approach to preaching and uh, how people prepare themselves to be able to preach from memory like that. Yeah. Well, the first thing I think is is we all bring a memory to the congregation, a memory of something from Scripture. Even if it's a bad day in Sunday school in our childhood, we always have a memory of something. Uh, and so one of the things we talk about much much the way Second Peter addresses memory, there's a big difference between memory, the way Scripture uses it, and, and what I'd call rote memorization. Uh, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. Second Peter talks about, I want to arouse a memory. I want to bring to mind. I want to help you recall. Another way uh, that we see this is in On the Road to Emmaus, where uh, the, the risen Christ opens their minds and they're able to see Christ's presence in front of them. So one of the things we talk about, much the way Quintilian and um, the ancient writers talked about memory, is simply treating um, your heart and your mind like a wax tablet. Let's talk about what we already know, what we're bringing to the text, and how we can best engage the audience. So what we do is we write our sermons as if they were going to be performed orally. And what I do is I give them techniques and ways to structure the sermon. So they take it in three or four different parts. And then I invite them to build a a mental filing system. That's the way Cicero did it. Uh, a, A mental filing system of here are the topics and issues that I'm going to address. And then I encourage them to go into the room where they are going to preach and to literally use objects in the room as mental markers so that if a clock is on the wall and I'm going to talk about time, I mentally map out where in the sermon I'm going to look at the clock to jog my my memory. Okay, I'm going to move into this section on, on time. And so it takes some practice to do that. But the why are we doing it this way? Well, one reason is the, the best transformative preaching happens when I'm looking at the congregation. So yeah, I, will, I agree. With I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Right. And, and the, uh, the preachers who just read with their eyes down, uh, the, it can be brilliant, but without the eye contact, to me, it's not pastoral. Go, yeah. So go ahead. So, yeah. so that's one thing. And then the other thing is, you know, I don't, I don't expect anyone to recite word for word what they have on the page. But I do believe in the power of Christ's word who said, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. And, you know, the Pentecostal tradition and many of our African-American congregations already get this intuitively. They have been preaching improvisationally for years, It's yeah. but it's a different kind of improvisation. It's spirit-inspired speech. And so... What I have found is that we have a lot to learn from each other that we may not have even recognized. So we give each other permission to say, all right, I'm going to make a few mistakes. I'm going to lose my train of thought. But that almost endears yourself to the congregation because the congregation knows that you're speaking from the heart authentically. And then, you know, you keep a few prompts in in your Bible uh, but what we're doing, much like in preaching one, where the mirror is facing us, like we're looking in the mirror uh, on a in in the morning, fixing our hair. Not you, Scott, but most people fixing their hair on in the morning. Uh, but, I do fix my hair. Okay, okay, okay. It's called but, a washcloth. I got you. I got you. Okay. But then we're turning the mirror almost like the the Mount of Transfiguration that metamorphosis language there. We're turning the mirror now so the congregation can gaze at themselves and get a picture of themselves from the preacher and from the Word of God. They are able to reflect now on their condition. They spend so much time in the week thinking about what everybody else is doing from their village to their school to whatever uh, is happening politically in the world. Well, 
most of the week is point their fingers are pointed at everybody else. So the Sunday morning worship experience and other times where the word is proclaimed, they finally get a chance for God to speak directly to them and to reflect now on their condition and to say, okay, how can we as a community uh, reflect and bear witness to the risen Christ? I man, I that was that was great advice. I love President Schill, your um you know, the, the tricks that you gave, but also, of course, the mirror illustration. I know in my preaching and in, in learning about preaching, one of the, the greatest, I guess, um, really benefits from preaching from memory that I've heard, ha- heard is that it really forces your hand at keeping it simple enough for you to communicate clearly, you know, what you want to communicate so your audience can grasp it and they're able to take more with them when they go. I wonder if you have, you know, any other uh, insights from that being able to grasp more because if you're preaching from memory, it's going to have to be, you know, more simple so you can understand and, and, and communicate more. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the details. And some of this is from Joe Webb's book uh, that we use in the in the uh, in the class. But really, as you said, Chaz, there if you're going to preach from memory, the most you are going to try to accomplish is one key thing in the sermon. So you really want to work to say, all right, this is the one takeaway from the text and for the congregation that I want them to to leave with, and then. I want to I want to make no more than four moves. If you think about a sermon as a four movements in a play, I'm going to make four shifts, four pages of the sermon, maybe 20 to 30 minutes, and I want to map out in my mind what are those four moves and how am I going to get there? Because when you're preaching from memory, you got to know your transitions. Your transitions you almost have to memorize them by heart because they're like your bailout. If you get off into a ditch, you can always transition and and get and keep the keep the sermon going. So once you know the the four basic moves to get to the end of the sermon, then what you do is you you dial in very clearly on how am I going to retell and explain this text so that a listener today can understand what the text is saying to me in this moment. And we work very hard on the technique of paraphrase. And again, this is there's nothing new to this. It's all very ancient. But we practice uh, not only reciting the text, but then retelling the text in our own words. Uh, because by writing down the text in our own words, we're committing it to memory. We are practicing how we would tell someone else. So you've got your four moves. You've got a way of re-explaining the text. And then really the content becomes, okay, what, it, what are going to be the ways I'm going to apply this to my congregation? And so there might be a story that I'm going to become very familiar with. Uh, there might be some real key uh, words in the text. And by the way, the text itself becomes a, a marker. Uh, if you follow the outline of the text or the flow of a parable, the text helps jog your memory. And then once you get all that down, you write it. Um, or type it out uh, onto a, what I call a, um, an audio draft, a, the manuscript of the text, the way you would write it before you preach it. And what I encourage my students to do is to write it and then to take that text, take that sermon manuscript and practice it aloud and practice it uh, with someone else and ask them how it sounds. Ooh. And the more you say it aloud, the more it starts changing. Yeah. And the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the sermon you write is not the sermon you deliver. 
And usually about on the fifth or sixth time, you have started to commit it to memory. And I'll tell you from experience, uh, it's like riding a bicycle or anything else. Or, you know, my favorite analogy is trying to floss your braces. If you ever wore braces as a middle schooler or high schooler, the first time you did it, you thought, it's going to take me all night to do this. And it does. But then after you get used to it, um, you, you look back and you say, I'd never go back to preaching that way. And so the more time you have to practice, the more time you have to work with a, a team of people, then you become very comfortable and you start saying, you know, I, I want to make sure that most of this is, is head up with eyes looking at the people. Okay, I got, I got some questions now. So when you were in Tallahassee or uh, somewhere, uh, San Angelo, and then moved to Tennessee, and then Tallahassee, you you routinely, you always, uh, most of the time, you would give your sermon to at least one other person before you delivered on Sunday morning. Well, uh, no, well, usually my dog. I practiced uh, okay. my pets um, because I got into the habit of practicing in front of the mirror early on. Um, the reason I said some, you know, practicing with another person is we use the preaching clusters now. So even if it was call someone on the phone and let me read this to you, let me tell you how this sounds. I used to sit down with a group of preachers and we'd trade sermon cassette tapes. Uh, Chaz, that was uh, back in the day. We had this thing called cassette tapes. (laughs) So now, now, Bill, did you one of the points you made here was really interesting to me. And that is you sort of get the sermon. all revved up and all worked out before you write it out. That's right. I tend to brew, for instance, I know I'm going to be preaching in March at our church. Um, uh, You know, it's during Lent and all that sort of thing. But I tend to uh, work the text, think about the text, pray over the text, ponder it. I get to do this for weeks and weeks sometimes. And by the time Monday comes around of the week before I preach, I just sit down and write out the whole sermon. Uh, I've tinkered with it all. I, I guess I've brewed on it before I write it. Uh, but but I see you taking a more oral form and then writing out what has already become an oral form. Mm-hmm. I find that I find that it, now now here's my question. Um, I'll start with one of my stories, then you tell me yours. I was uh, speaking. Uh, I'm. I'm. I get asked frequently to preach about the Jesus Creed, and I remember one time telling my wife, "I'm never doing this again. I'm tired. I get excited every time I start talking, but it usually takes me to be right up in front of the audience before I can get the wheels going on it, because I've talked about it hundreds of times. Right. All right. So. Uh, I'm speaking at a big, uh, fancy, wealthy, suburban Methodist church, and I think you got, I think I had 18 minutes for the sermon. <laughs> and of course, I've got notes. Uh, I don't have the whole sermon written out. I don't have a text, but I have notes and an outline. And I skipped from point one to point three. And mm. at 12 at 12 minutes, I was done. Mm. And between between uh, there was two sermons, fortunately. Uh, I got to do it again. I did the whole thing between. I got, I got rebuked pretty severely by the, uh, by the pastor for not taking up the, the proper amount of time. Mm. Uh, but I wonder, um, 
So that's with notes. I, I made a mistake. Yeah. Maybe if I was just preaching from memory, I'd have been fine. I wonder what, what kind of mistakes you've made in relying upon delivering from memory. Because what I see, what I really see going on is you absorb the sermon so deeply right. that it's really not recall and memory. It has become an experience that you're, you're delivering because it's, it's ingrained in your heart to deliver this message. Right. And, and, but I think you're right. We, you do sort of embody the text and, but, and there are times, I think anytime you're preaching, whether with a manuscript or without, you are going to leave something out. You are going to forget a story. Um, you're going to lose the trail at some point and, and you have to allow for that. And, you know, there are times when, um, when I have, uh, left out sections of a sermon and didn't realize it until I was, I was, uh, the service was over. Uh, there have been times when like I'd, I'd be, I'd forgotten something and I'd kind of remember it after I'd said I'd concluded the sermon and I decided, um, well, I'll just work this final thought into my closing prayer. So I would kind of pray the main point I was trying to make in the sermon when I realized it didn't connect. Um, and you know, and I'm a musician, I'll confess to you sometimes I know the sermon's not going over very well and I can think of a song. So I've just broken out into a song at the end to sort of make up for a really bad morning. So, uh, you know, there, there are different things that, yeah, we all do it. And, um, and I think that's part of the joy because you realize, you know, this is human speech, uh, God uses broken vessels. And, you know, it's those sermons where you think, I have, I didn't preach long enough. I didn't fill up the time. I left out the main point. It's the, always, invariably, it's that sermon where you think, I've blown it, that somebody comes up to you in the foyer and they say, Pastor, you were speaking to me today. Yeah. And you ask them, well, what did I say? And they say to you something. You, you, no, and, you're not supposed to say, you're kidding. Yeah. And, and, uh, and they say, they, they respond to you something that never came out of your mouth yeah. and you know, then that it's the spirit's work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I really like this idea of delivering from memory and I think I resonate with it though. I don't, I don't make it a practice. I have to confess that, uh, because, uh, with my itinerant kind of speaking where I'm asked to speak many times, on the same topic, I think I've become so comfortable with the material that I can deliver what I want to say without being tied even to notes, a story, an explanation of a text, a historical background, social description. And I think that is far more compelling as communication than uh, the, the normal uh, reading the sermon. So uh, well, I, wonder, yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask la last, uh, I don't know how much time we have here, uh, but uh, uh, Bill, I wonder if you could tell us what you're learning about Northern, uh, your excitement about Northern Seminary as you teach students to preach. Well, the, the first thing I'm learning in addition to how wonderful our faculty are, we have some top-notch students. These students are already preaching. So many of our students are in congregations where they are teaching pastors, associate pastors. And so they bring an, a level of experience that most seminaries probably aren't used to, having this quality of 
uh, on-the-ground training and uh, on-the-job experience. So um, the good news is our students bring a foundational knowledge, and then what I'm finding from learning with them and thinking about preaching is then the conversation is is begins uh, to we begin to discuss okay how are we going to address the major cultural and contextual issues for each congregation um, and we're able to learn from each other so if someone is serving in a rural church um, in in uh, say Wisconsin as we had a student this past term. Uh, sitting next to someone who is in one of the most violent neighborhoods uh, on the south side of Chicago and preaching in two parishes, wow! The the conversations and the and the rich breadth of experience that the students bring. So what I get to do is simply uh, open the door and people begin to talk and share. Um, this past this term, we are moving out of the mechanics of the preacher and into more what I call communication. All right, so we have the sermon. Now, how are we going to communicate it? And this past week, we took a field trip to the Art Institute, uh, partly to say, you know, we're not the first generation to use visual media in our messages. All the way back to the third century in Dura Europa, Syria, there was a church uh, excavated that had murals uh, and mosaics and frescoes on the walls with biblical scenes. So we think we're all creative with our PowerPoint and, and uh, movies and all these video clips. Well, we've been doing this for centuries. We just have technology that makes it instantaneous. So what we've been doing now is talking about, given our context, how do we help our congregants imagine God's work in their world? And how can we use the eyes of faith to see what's going on in the text? Uh, we're using the book of Exodus as a template this year. How can we take the book of Exodus and visualize that and see God's deliverance and salvation and our responsibility right now to this culture uh, and to announce the good news? Well, you know, we could only do this with this particular group of students here at Northern because they're living it out. They're walking in with real-time examples, and uh, and we're able to learn together. And then uh, my hope is they can take this into their congregations and begin to teach their congregation even better how to be better listeners, just as the preachers are becoming better communicators. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. Well, um, we're... Uh as faculty, we are really glad that you, as our president, are te that you're teaching in our you're teaching our students because that's what we do, and we want our president to understand what we're doing to understand it experientially um, as you make decisions about Northern Seminary, and we are glad because you're learning uh, about the same students that we're learning, and in that sense, then you've become one of us, and and this is important for us at a school like Northern is that we want to have an integrated educational platform and having our president teaching is, is one of the greatest things we can have. So we appreciate that. And I also want to express my appreciation to you for that book, uh, delivering from memory because of all that I learned and it stimulated me in so many different areas. But when I wrote the work on the commentary on Philemon, I was constantly asking myself, how would this letter 
have been performed by the reader, the lector, uh, when they got to Colossae in Philemon's presence, and in that sense, put him in the dock as the letter was read because the pressure was on uh, in the very performance of that letter. And so it was so fun for me just to uh, imagine my way back in the world, thinking of performing the the reading of the letter uh, shifted and opened my eyes, shifted me and opened my eyes to different ways of looking at what's going on in Philemon. So thanks for um, taking some time from your busy schedule uh, to, to be on the podcast. And tomorrow morning, I'll see you in the airport as we head off to, uh, to uh, Tel Aviv. Well, it's my pleasure, Scott, and thank you for the opportunity to serve with you. And, and I just want to encourage your listeners uh, to join us as part. This fall, we're going to have a, a conference called the, On the New Kind of Preacher, and we are forming preaching clusters for alumni. And if they'd like to engage in this kind of conversation on an ongoing basis, uh, feel free to contact me. I'm helping coordinate that program now. And uh, it's not just something for our students, but we have workbooks and materials and and a great way to educate uh, everyone in what's going on in the world of preaching and love to continue the conversation. Thanks for the opportunity today. Thank you. Thanks, Bill, President Schill, for being with us. Um, also, thank you, our listeners, for joining us again on another episode of Kingdom Roots. And we really, as we always say, try to focus on how the kingdom took root then. And of course, preaching was an essential and pivotal part. And we hope the conversation today has been helpful for you and how the kingdom will continue to take root through your preaching and proclamation of the truth of Scripture and the embodiment of that in our communities. So, um, one wanted to also remind you and encourage you to grab uh, President Shields' book, Delivering from Memory. I've included a link to that in the description of the show. And um, also he mentioned that um, that upcoming conference at Northern about preaching and uh, have information as well as his contact on there to be um, able to get in touch if you're interested in that. So thanks again. And we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. 